Is it possible to know what God's like? Is it possible to really understand and get a handle on who he is and what he's like? There was an art class going on in a, in a primary school, and the teacher was uh, walking, walking around the kids, looking at the various things they were drawing. And this little girl was doing a doodle, and the teacher said, what are you drawing? And she said, I'm drawing God. And, and the teacher said, you can't draw God. No one knows what God looks like. And the little girl said, come back in a few minutes and you will. <laughs> and I guess that's really what I wanted to communicate to you guys today. That actually when you look in the Bible, it paints a picture of God. And when you look at the life of Jesus, come back in a few minutes, you're going to understand what God's like. Look at Jesus, you're going to understand God. So we're going to look at title, if you want a title, is The Father Reveals. The, the Father, God, discloses Himself to the world. He wants people to grasp what He's like, and He gives us that revelation through the Bible and through Jesus Christ. So, let's take a bit of a journey. So, the Old Testament, looking at the start there, in the Old Testament, you find that God has about 300 names attributed to Him. Whenever a name is given to God, it describes His character. Some of the most common ones are like El Shaddai, a Hebrew name, which means God Almighty, <clears throat> or Yahweh, which is translated Lord in the New Testament. Some Hebrew names. And there's 300 names attributed to God, which speak about how God's a provider, and God's a healer, and God's almighty, and God's omnipotent, and, and all these great titles that are given to God, revealing His character. In the Old Testament, there are about 1,180 times that God is referred, sorry, that that the name Father is used, but only in 15 of those are referred to God in the Old Testament. 15 times God's referred to as Father in the Old Testament. So, it's not a major revelation in the Old Testament. It's not a major disclosure on God's behalf, but nevertheless, it's there. And actually, it's not just there. It's His very heartbeat, and you can see it coming through. Let me read to you from one of the prophets, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 19 to 20. Here's, here's Jeremiah. Often the prophets in the Old Testament weren't just speaking the words of God, but they were also giving it the emotion of God. That's what prophets do. They don't just speak words. They give it the emotion and the sentiment that God feels as they're given those words. Jeremiah 3, Jeremiah says, God speaking through Jeremiah, I myself said, how gladly I would treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land than the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me. You know, so often we think of ourselves as, you know, we think of it to our own heart, not opening up to the Father's love. We think, that, well, that's damaging to us. But how many people often consider that actually it hurts the Father when we don't open up to Him. And you can, see, you can hear that pain in these, in these words here. As, as God's speaking through the prophet, you can hear the pain of God saying, I thought you were going to call me Father. I thought we were going to interact in that way. And there's a pain, there's an ache in the heart of the Father about that. God longs to interact with you in that way. In fact, as you go through the whole of the Bible, Augustine made this great statement. He said, if the entire Bible could be summed up in a single sentence it would cry out like the resounding waves of the sea, the Father loves you. It's interesting, in Islam, there are 99 names they attribute to God, and not one of them is Father. But that's the mega revelation as we come into the New Testament. Jesus reveals 
God. Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3, it says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Here we see there's a little illustration given to us here of Jesus radiating the Father's glory. It's like the sun and the sun's rays. You can't separate the sun from the sun's rays. You know, as long as there has been sun, there has been sun's rays. You can't separate them out. So too, as long as there has been a father, there has been a son. It's not like Jesus was created. He always has been. It's not like when we, our experience of sons is that sons had a beginning and they have a dad. But when we're talking about God, we, don't, we shouldn't understand son in that same sense. But the Lord Jesus Christ relates to the father eternally like a son would to a father. He's begotten, not created. And Jesus always has been. And just like the son's the Son is communicated by means of its rays, so the Father is communicated by means of Jesus Christ. That when you, you experience the Son by the rays, remember yesterday? Yeah? Remember that? We've experienced it once now. You can, you can never say you've never had this experience of Son, right? The Son was communicated to us by means of the rays. We experience the Son because of its rays. And so too also you experience God through Jesus Christ. He communicates Himself through Jesus Christ. God, all that God is, in all His greatness and His glory, shines out of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Father is used of God 245 times. 178 of those times, Jesus calls God Father in His teaching. It was the mega theme of Jesus' teaching. It was the big revelation that dawned on planet Earth as Jesus walked the earth. It's like that little girl saying, hang around, you'll see what he's like. Same with Jesus. Those three years, those three years recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's gospel, hang around, you're going to see what God's like. This is the true revelation of exactly who God is. Jesus said, well, John writing the gospels said about Jesus, John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Anyone else find that verse very confusing? <laughs> right? Well, listen, I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of giving you a little glimpse into this thing, the Bible, what we call the Trinity. And it, the Trinity is a, is a tough concept to grasp. And therefore, verses that relate to it kind of hang with a kind of awkwardness because it's an awkward concept, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Sometimes truths are hard to grasp, but nevertheless are true. God has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here what the Bible is saying, it's saying that Jesus who's always been in the bosom of the Father for eternity past to eternity future, Jesus Himself, who is God, fully God, fully man, has described the Father to us. Right, so we're not doing a message on the Trinity. We did that a few months ago, and if you want to listen to that, go on the website. But let me just come back to the point. The one who is the best person to explain to you what the Father is like is the one who has been in the bosom of the Father for all eternity past. He's been with the Father for all eternity. So he is the very one best qualified to communicate exactly what the Father is like. 
That's, that's from the New American Standard Version, NASB. Let me give it from the Amplify, nice and loud. It says, in His intimate presence, not just in the bosom of the Father, but in the intimate presence of the Father. That's the Lord Jesus for eternity. It, in the New Living Translation, it says, but He who is uh, near to the Father's heart, that's Jesus, has been close to the Father's heart for eternity, and therefore is able and qualified to communicate to us who the Father is like. Just wait a minute, and you can understand what God's like. That's what it's like with Jesus Christ. Jesus, in His famous prayer towards the end of His life, in the night He was betrayed, He said in John 17, and this is the key text I want to kind of unpack for you today, John 17, 25 to 26, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known, speaking to the disciples, these have known that you have sent me. I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known. So he's saying past tense, I have made it known. And he's saying future tense, I will make it known. So that the love which you, with which you love me may be in them and I in them. So that's where we're going today. So let's start there. I have made your name known. Jesus is speaking about the last three years. He's been with the disciples, and he's saying that in that time, he made the Father's name known to them and to the world who were watching. So how did he do that? Well, Jesus spoke words which were the Father's words. He said in John 14, 10, the words I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does the work through me. John 12, 50, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So when you listen to the words of Jesus in the Gospels, you think, well, that's exactly how the Father spoke. So you see Jesus with the woman caught in adultery, the, the religious people, the religious zealots brought this lady who'd been caught in the very act of adultery to Jesus. And, she, and they said, you need to stone her to death, Jesus, because that's what the law commands. And then Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. You know how it goes. And they all felt convicted of their sin. Some think he was writing in the sand about their sins. This guy over there, arrow. <laughs> Fraud, right? I don't know, whatever. I don't know, that may well have been what he was doing, but either way, they felt convicted of their sins and they left. And what did Jesus say? He said exactly what the Father would say, neither do I condemn you. Now, I know what's going on in your head. You're thinking of 101 other verses in the Old Testament where God did condemn people. I know. But that's where this thing called the cross kicks into gear. And we'll explain that in a few moments. But Jesus spoke exactly as the Father would speak. His desire is not to condemn, and Jesus verbalized that. And you see Jesus interacting in so many ways. You see him speaking to the thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in paradise. This is, the heart, this is the Father's heartbeat since the eternity. He doesn't want to, he's slow to anger, he's, he's fast to show mercy and love. This is the Father's heart. The woman at the well in Samaria, she, you know, he knows the stuff she's done. He knows the journey she's been on. She's a dirty woman, and yet Jesus doesn't mention those things. Rather, he talks about her deepest needs that she's trying to satisfy in the wrong places. And he speaks with grace to this woman. It's the Father's voice. You see how he speaks to the religious leaders and challenges the hypocrisy. It was the Father speaking. You see how Jesus spoke exactly as the Father would speak. Remember when he spoke to the leper, Mark 1, 40 to 41, a man with leprosy came and knelt down before Jesus begging to be healed. 
If you're willing, you can heal me. You can make me clean. Uh, and he said, and he, he said, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. This was the Father speaking. He, he was, if you're willing, you can heal me. What does the Father say? I'm willing. This is Lord Jesus Christ revealing the Father's heart about sickness. He's willing. He is so willing to heal. God's declaration. But Jesus' works also reveal the Father, not just His words, but also His works. Jesus said in John 5, 19, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. And whatever He does, whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So, let's look at the actions of the Father displayed through Jesus. You see Him touching the untouchables. You see Him going to people that no one else would go near, the lepers, and touching lepers. You see Him hanging out with people who no one else would hang out with, going to their parties and demonstrating love and tenderness to people that no one else would touch or go near. You know, Jesus' miracles weren't just random events. They were signs. That's what they were often called in, in the New Testament. They were signs. They were pointing in a certain direction. Now, signs are not the aim. Signs are pointing you towards the aim. Okay? So, for example, when you're driving along uh, and you say, it's got an arrow saying, Leith, you don't get out of your car and say, cool, I'm in Leith. You don't hang out at the sign thinking, yes, I'm in Leith. Right? Do you? Some of you do. Okay, that's great. <laughs> great bunch here today. All right, we're going to have to... Okay, anyway. But the point is the sign isn't the destination. The sign points you to the destination. Jesus' miracles were often... They were not just random events. They pointed you in a direction. Jesus' agenda was trying to point you and say, listen, you need to understand. I'm trying to let you know something about the Father. So when he raised the dead, and he moved with compassion, he raised that widow's son from the dead, he wants you to understand something about the Father. Not just that the Father's mighty, not just that the Father's all-powerful, but something about the character and the heartbeat of the Father. And when, when Jesus Christ uh, cleansed the lepers, and when he did all those great things, the way he associated with rejects, the way he treated women with dignity, the way he washed the disciples' feet, who was doing that? It was the Father. He was doing the actions of the Father when He was washing disciples' feet. What does that God say? What does that say to you about God's agenda for human beings? You know, when Jesus Christ, when He He did all these things, He was wanting you to understand this is what the Father is like. There was a, a psychiatrist, a well-known psychiatrist called Dr. John Rosen, uh, from New York City. And he became famous for his work with uh, catonic uh, schizophrenics. These were people who were completely withdrawn, completely withdrawn from other people around them. They'd, they, were, they were so traumatized mentally that they had withdrawn from people. In fact, they were hardly even aware that other people were around them. And they would often be in mental hospitals rocking on the edges of their bed or curled up in fetal positions, 
uh, sometimes incontinent, not, not acknowledging people around them, and just totally blanking everyone. And this particular doctor, John Rosen, he had an unusual way of working with these guys. What he did was he moved into the ward with them. He got a bed set up alongside their beds, and he lived among them, and he would often sit down beside them as they were curled up, and he would hug them for prolonged periods. And this is how he'd interact with these people who were deeply traumatized. And for many of them, this personal attention caused them to come back to the land of the living and to re-engage. And I think it's a good picture. And by the way, in 1971, he received an award and he was named a psychiatrist, of the doctor of the year by the American Psychiatry Association for his work with these people who had been so withdrawn. But this is a great picture of God, that God moved into our ward and God physically embraced us that Jesus Christ's actions were the actions of God, the Father. He was revealing, He was signposting, this is what the Father's like. He's experiential. You can know Him. He can be real in your lives. This is what Jesus was doing. And that last night when He was betrayed, Philip said to Jesus, John 14, 8-9, Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to Him, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So, again, this is Trinity. This is God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can't separate them out. Jesus Christ in Jesus, you've seen the Father. He said in another place, I and the Father are one. So Jesus said, I have made known to you. He talks about all the stuff he'd done. I've made, you known, I've made your name known, Father, to, to these people you've given me. And he had done it through his words and through his actions. But he goes on to say, and I will make your name known. This is Jesus praying. And this, the next event after his, that prayer, I will make your name known to them. What happens next is he goes to the cross. The Father was revealed in the cross. And that's a, that's a scary thing. Let me tell you about... Uh, a film called Most. It's an it's a, it's a Academy-nominated award film uh, by a, a Czech company. Most means bridge. And the story is of a son who went with his father to work one day. And this father and son had an amazing relationship. The father's job was that he worked with the, the railway company, and his responsibility was to be stationed in a signal box near the river. And his job was, at a particular time, the trains ran apparently on time, and he would watch his clock, and he would make sure the bridge was lifted for boats traveling under, and then when trains came, he would make sure the bridge was lowered so the trains could pass safely over. On this particular occasion, on this tragic occasion, the son who was fishing down at the river saw the train was coming early and tried to get his father's attention. He couldn't get his father's attention, so he runs up to the railway lines and decides that he himself would try and grab the mechanism and pull the lever to lower the, draw, the lower bridge. But in doing so, the sun fell into the mechanism of the lowering bridge. There's a dreadful moment in this film clip where the father, looking out, he sees the, the, his son has fallen into the mechanism. 
and he looks out and he sees this train hurtling towards this gaping open bridge. He knows that either he is going to have to push the lever and kill his own son in doing so while rescuing the hundreds in the train, or he's going to have to accept the loss of those in the train and spare his own son. And in the moment in that film where you see him pushing that lever, you can see his heart is breaking like any father's heart would. And his heart breaks, he pushes the lever, the bridge is lowered, his son is crushed. But the hundreds of people on the train, the hundreds of people who were totally oblivious to the price that had just been paid for them, it was just like another day for them. They had no idea that this man had just given everything so they could have safe passage. And the father is devastated. The father is gutted because he has just paid the ultimate price for these people. And this is a good picture of exactly how God feels about you. That 2,000 years ago on the cross, as Jesus hung on that cross, you need to understand that not just any ordinary father, but the eternal father who has ultimate love offered his own son so that we could be saved. It blows me away. It blows me. It would blow me away if a human did that. But when God, the creator of everything, who needs nothing, he doesn't need us, does that for us. I understand something about this father because I'm a dad. I think, boy, I know how I feel about my kids. So you see the father is doing this. Now, in that moment on the cross, you understand two things. You understand that God absolutely is holy. And you understand that God absolutely is loving. I said earlier that you might in your minds think, okay, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. But I know bits in the Old Testament where God certainly did condemn people. And I know, because here's what the deal is. And and Jesus didn't try and skirt over those things. He spoke of judgment. And I'm not going to skirt over those things. The Bible's full of judgment. But here's why it's full of judgment. It's full of judgment because God is a judge and because God is holy. And as well as being utterly loving, He's utterly holy beyond what you could imagine. And therefore, sin is abhorrent to Him. And God cannot just ignore sin. To ignore sin would make Him unjust and unholy. And what happened on the cross was this, that His justice and His love were satisfied. That on the cross, His judgment was poured out, sure, because He's a judge, because He's holy. But His judgment, instead of being poured out on us, was poured out on His Son. That's why when Jesus turned to the woman and said, neither do I condemn you, Jesus didn't just say, I'll turn a blind eye to this one. He was saying, no, no, I don't condemn you because I'm going to be condemned for you. And that's how the Father wants to interact with you. He wants to be able to say to you, neither do I condemn you because my son was condemned in your place. Now, it's up to you whether you accept that. It's up to you whether you make it yours. But you can. This is how the Father feels about you. And I urge you today, if you haven't already done this, open up your heart to this Father. Let Him be your God. Come to Him today. Come to Him in this service. Give your heart to Him. You know, we often think of the cross as something that Jesus hung on, but actually the cross was something that was in the heart of the Father. It says in John 3, 16, for God, Father, so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life.
It's, it was in the heart of the Father. That's the point. The cross was in the heart of the Father. The cross, now we understand that the suffering of the Son on the cross was colossal. We understand that. We can imagine, we've seen the passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson, and we can only imagine not just the external pain and anguish, but you can imagine the internal anguish of taking the sin of the world upon himself. Hardcore. But what you need to understand is this, is an unseen pain of the cross that you might not have grasped before is the pain of the Father in that moment on the cross. We see the pain of the Son, sure, by my dad's. When I see my kids go through stuff, it pains me. There's nothing I wouldn't do to alleviate their suffering. Any dad would say the same. You would do everything within your means to alleviate their suffering, whether it's bullying at school or they're going through a, an a, a sickness or whatever it is. You would do anything within your means to alleviate their suffering. So why didn't the father intervene? Because there was the, the Son of God, the eternal Son, who had been eternally in relationship with the Father from eternity past and will be for eternity future. How, this Father didn't intervene in that moment. Everything within him would want to intervene in that moment, and yet the Father didn't intervene despite the anguish that he was going through. It, it might even be that the anguish that Christ was going through in the cross may be on the same level. If not, maybe the Father's anguish was even greater, possibly. The Father's suffering on the cross was beyond your understanding, and yet the Father didn't intervene, and the reason He didn't intervene was because His love for you. The reason He didn't intervene because He knew if He intervenes, then the rescue plan wouldn't work for you. The reason He didn't intervene is that the price needed to be paid, and therefore to intervene would interrupt that possibility that you and I could come into relationship with Him, that the Father allowed the eternal Son to go through that and didn't intervene so that you and I could become adopted sons and daughters into His family. That blows me away. It blows me away. In 2 Kings 25, Zedekiah, it's a horrible moment where Zedekiah is taken captive into Babylon. Zedekiah was a wicked king, and he was taken away into captivity. He's an Israelite king, and they did some horrendous things to people then, and the Babylonians, what they did was this, they killed Zedekiah's sons in front of him. They killed him, them, and then he, they put Zedekiah's eyes out, and they took him in chains to Babylon. In other words, the last things he saw with his eyes was the death of his sons. Why did they do such a thing? Because they, wanted, they couldn't think of anything more painful. That's why they did it. They, they, they thought, well, keep him alive so he has that memory. And they, they, they thought of the worst possible punishment, and that's what they did to those kings. And this is exactly what the father, the pain the father God went through on the cross was seeing his own son suffering so that you and I could be saved. And you need to understand that the cross wasn't just one event. It was an event, sure. But the sentiment of the cross, the heartbeat of God that's expressed in the cross is the continual heartbeat of God towards you. You know the parable of the prodigal son? When you see the son coming back to the father and what happens is father runs towards the son and embraces the son before even the son gets home, yeah? What's that? It's, it's just letting you know that same sentiment. The father's heartbeat has always been reaching out, and it just, the cross was that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This was the father's heartbeat to reconcile you to himself, so why not come to him today? 
I'm going to continue with this message in a moment, but I want to give you an opportunity just now. If you're here and you've never given your life to God, why not just now? Just close your eyes a moment. If you're here and you're saying, Peter, I want God in my life, that God would do this for me, that Jesus would die and rise again on the cross because of the love of God so that I could be saved, then I want God in my life. If that's you and you're saying, Peter, I want to commit my life to God, you may have been... You may have been wandering away from God. Don't run anymore. Come to Him right now. If that's you today, you're saying, Peter, I want to give my life to God. I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand where you are. I want to pray for you. Is there anyone like that today? Thank you. Is there anyone else? He's saying, Peter, I want to come to God. I want to commit my life to God. I want to live my life for Him from now on. And just quickly raise your hand. I'm not going to call you at the front or anything. I'm just going to pray for you where you are. Put your hand up. Let me know it's you. Father, thank you so much for this precious lady and anyone else in this room who today are saying that they want you in their lives. Let them experience your love today. Let them come to you and know the acceptance that only you can give. Thank you for accepting. Thank you for saving through that great price you paid in the cross in Jesus' name. Amen. But Jesus is, so the cross actually reveals the Father. So when Jesus is saying, I have shown your name, past tense, that was through the miracles and the teaching, but future tense, I will. He went to the cross and he showed the Father's love in a way that the Father's love had not been understood before in the cross. But beyond the cross, post-cross, we also see the Father's love displayed. Here's how it should be displayed. It should be displayed through church leaders. That's one thing. Just let me make a quick point about church leaders. Evangelists shouldn't just evangelize. They should evangelize using the Father's heart. That same heartbeat of the Father should be revealed because Jesus wants to reveal that. Prophets, you know what, what? if anyone's a prophet and they don't have the Father's heart but they can bring good prophecies, then you're dangerous. You need to be displaying the exact same thing that Jesus was displaying in his life, the Father's heart. That's what makes all this safe. Furthermore, it's through the church. It's through the words and the deeds, just like through the words and deeds of Jesus we see the Father, so through the words and deeds of the church we should see the Father. Remember Jesus said, John 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So Jesus came into the world with a mission. His mission was to reveal the Father to the world. Well, just in the same way that the Father had sent Jesus with that mission, so in that same way, church, we're sent. We're sent to display the words and the deeds of the Father to a world that so desperately needs it. Sure, you've got to impact, receive the impact of it yourself, but you've also got to display that love of the Father to those around you. Don't just exist as a church do you love each other? Do you know each other in this room? Do you go the extra mile for each other? When's the last time you had someone from this gathering back to your house for a meal? Now, let's go beyond here to Leith, the city, the city we're living in here. People around us need the love of the Father. Do we just go around our, our daily jobs and work and in our zones and ignoring everyone? Or do you think, man, there's people around me who so desperately need the love of the Father? Jesus said, as, as you, Father, have sent me, so I send them. Go display the works and the words of a loving father to each other and to the city around you. 
And the Father will also be revealed in eternity. Love this verse in Ephesians 2 verses 6 to 7. It says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's what happens when you get saved. In order that in the coming ages... Now, I don't, I don't know what this all means, right? I don't because I haven't been there yet. But I'll tell you what it means when we're there. But he says, in order that in the coming ages... So this is talking about eternal life. This is talking about the future. What's it going to look like? Well, don't know fully, but here's what it is going to feel like. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I don't know what that all means, but it sounds very good. And all I know is that in the, in the time that comes ahead, just as he's, he's been showing us the Father's love, he will show us the Father's love in eternity. This is going to be what you will bask in, what you will experience for all eternity because of Jesus Christ. Come in. What was Jesus' goal in doing this? In revealing to us the Father, what's the goal? Truth is, the wrong view of God will cause you to close your heart to God. The right view of God will cause you to open your heart to God. It's like a little kid in a living room with a dad. And you have a very harsh and judgmental dad who's sitting there scowling at the kid. Now the kid's doing a little dance. The kid's having a little happy old time there. And, you know, and the dad's scowling. Not impressed at all. What's going to happen to the kid? You know, that kid who's been having a wee dance to himself and, and then he suddenly sees the dad scowling at him. What's going to happen? Well, it's not going to be long before the kid starts kind of clamming up. And then he's going to just say, stuff this. I'm going to stop dancing. Now, that's scenario number one. Scenario number two. You have the same living room, and this time you have an enthusiastic, loving dad. And the dad's on the edge of the sofa. And the little kid's doing a wee jig. And the dad's watching. And instead of scowling, the dad's saying, whoa, that's cool. Like that move. And the kid's like, yay. And he starts getting more animated. And starts doing stuff he'd never done before like this. And the kid says, this goes ballistic. And the father's like, yeah, that's great, son. Go, do something different. And he does a somersault like, like Zawanda will show you after. There's all these great things. And the kid just gets more animated and more flamboyant. Why? Because when you understand the, the father's acceptance and towards you-ness, then it actually it, it, it frees you up in life. And you start to become actually who you were meant to be. But when your heart's close to God... And when you've got the wrong understanding of who God is, it closes your heart. You have the right understanding of who God is, it opens your heart. So Jesus said, I have made your no name known to them. Okay, what was that? That was, his, that was his words and his deeds. He revealed the Father through his life, yeah? And then he says, and I will make your name known. And we understand straight after saying these things, he went to the cross. And we see and understand the Father's love in the cross, not just the son's love in the cross, but the father's love in the cross. And also through the church and also in eternity. But then it says, here's the purpose. So that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. So that's the purpose. 
so that the love with which you love me may be in them. Now, some misunderstand this. Some think that means that the love that the Father had for the Son, we ourselves will have that same love for the Son. But that's not what it means, because how could we have a Father-like love for Jesus? How could we? That's outside of our frame of reference. Yeah? Yeah. So, what it means is, that same way the Father loved the eternal Son, in that same way, He wants you to experience His love towards you as His adopted sons and daughters. That's the point. That Jesus is saying, I've made your name known, and I will make your name known. And God, if they get that, then they're going to get this. That they're going to have an experience of love, because their hearts won't be closed. Because they've had a right understanding of who you are, their hearts will be open. And they're going to have an experience, just like I experience your ongoing love in my life, as you're the eternal father to the eternal son, they also will have that experience of love in their lives, that they will experience the Father loving them experientially in their lives, just as he loved the eternal son. But he says a really key thing here. He says uh, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. And this is a big key. When he said, and I in them, He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, after his death and resurrection, ascended back to the Father. But the Spirit, that's the Spirit of Christ, came, takes up residence in your heart. When you become a believer, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, is in you. And this is the point. It's not just that you, you, all right, I'll imagine it enough, then I'll start feeling the love of God. It's that the Holy Spirit causes, as it says in Romans 8, causes us to understand the love of God. That it's, it's, it's not just, oh, I got it because I thought about it enough. It's, I got it because I experienced it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to give you that embrace physically, tangibly in your life. That what goes from being just a great thought becomes a great reality that impacts the way you live every single day. And then as you feel that love, then just as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I send you. And you're going to be able to display a love, not from your own humanness, not because you're human sentiment, not because of, okay, I've mustered up love, I'm going to love people on Leith now. It's just that it's coming from you because he's in you and you experience that love. That's what God wants to do in you. Okay, so what we're going to do just now is we're going to respond. And I, I don't want any spectators here. I want you to respond. He is here. He's alive. He loves you. And I believe God wants to make real His love in your life today. Some of you have been barren in this regard. You've been robotical when it comes to God. You've been processing God. You've been trying to figure Him out. Rather than opening your heart to God and letting Him do something so special and significant in your life. So this is my prayer as I'm praying for, for this morning, that, is that God will let you feel Him, let God let you experience Him tangibly in your life.